Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We're going to go ahead and get started with worship. So if you're able, you're invited to stand.
worship your holy name. Bless the Lord. With 
You move, you move us to 
changes us, it changes what we see. What do we see? Changes everything. Oh, Spirit of the Living God, Spirit of the Living God, we only want to hear Your voice. We're hanging on every stood before creation, eternity in your hand. You spoke the earth into motion, my soul now to stand. You stood before my failure. Carried the cross for my shame. My sin weighed upon your shoulders, my soul now to stand. So, what can I say? What can I do? this heart, oh God, completely to you. So I'll walk upon salvation, your spirit alive in me. Life to declare
open on your lap and let those songs now wave back over you uh, and that last song uh, captured I hope uh, your heart and your mind it certainly did mine and uh, it, it's one of those moments when you think I could laugh or I could cry I mean I could just pour out tears or I could uh, just be giddy with joy so let's capture this moment let's go with it and we'll take, you know, literally just a couple of minutes, which might seem like a long time if you're not used to it, or might be not enough time if you are, and simply be in the presence of God. Let Him um, put into your hands what He wants to put in your hands, and let Him take from you uh, what He wants to take from you in terms of the burdens and the, and the anxieties that you might have brought in with you today. So let's do that together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you promise to be with us uh, wherever we are, wherever we go. You've promised not to leave us or forsake us. And so, Lord, we are confident and delighted that you are with us always. We can be with you anywhere, any, any place, any time, any occasion. We can simply be in your presence. But, Lord, thank you that in a place like this, at a time like this, we feel uniquely in your presence. 
uh, through the magnificent music and those words that penetrate to the core of who we are, that express our thoughts, our feelings, uh, how uh, help us to confess our sins and rejoice in your holy name. It fills us with uh, deep aspirations about what life could be and what it should be, and at the same time allow us to name our regrets and express our lament that it isn't. And so, Lord, as we have come into your presence on this first Sunday of a new year, uh, we come with the, the hope uh, that what you've told us is true and the certainty that what you have shown us is real. And so now, Lord, we uh, want to prepare our hearts and our minds to make this transition from one year to the next. Uh, not that bigger is better uh, or that more is best, but that you are enough and that we uh, are enough in you. And so for that, we give you honor and thanks and glory and praise. In Jesus' high and holy name, amen. Well, you survived 2021. Congratulations. Uh, I would say give yourself a big hand, but it's too much effort. <laughs> Just say, yeah, we, I survived. I got through that year. Some of you literally didn't know if you'd be alive today. And you're alive today. And the only consolation of not being here today alive would be you'd be alive in Christ. <laughs> and so like Paul, you probably went through some moments where you said, Lord, I don't know. I think I'd like to be with you, but maybe you've got more for me to do. Um, the temptation when you're young is to say, I have so many years ahead of me. The temptation when you're old is to say, my best years are behind me. Uh, both of those are kind of right, but mostly wrong. Because what we have uh, is the present. And to be in his presence is everything. Not the only thing, but it encompasses everything. And so here we are. Uh, I wish we had time to tell all the stories, to hear uh, all your takeaways from the last year, those moments that moved you poignantly to tears, uh, the, 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 the losses and, and experiences of grief that you had this year. Uh, I hope if you haven't named those and claimed those, and express those, you get in line with the psalmist. Most of the psalms are about lament. And give yourself the opportunity to lament. Maybe you should start the year with some lament. Not woe is me, but Lord, I'm pouring out my heart, my pain, my anguish to you because I know that you understand. Uh, maybe for you, uh, you've worked through all those losses uh, about what you thought the year would be, what you thought the stage of your life could or should be, uh, and you're ready to get on with a lot of joy and delight. Let it, let it rip. Let it go. I mean, uh, find ways to name the source of your joy. And maybe you, you see some things you're moving toward that will bring you deep, deep satisfaction, and you're not there yet. Claim it right now. I mean, claim it in the sense that this is not a name and a claim at church, by the way, in case you, that language freaks you out. It would freak me out if I was sitting here and I heard myself say that. We're not a name and a claim at church as in God owes me something. I'm going to claim wealth and material goods. We're about name it and claim it in that you are known to God, and he knows what you need. And so we simply name the fact that, Lord, you are Savior and Lord. Whoever names the Lord as Lord and Savior, it will be saved. It's a confession of faith. Whoever proclaims uh, that the Lord is good, God is good all the time, all the time God is good. Uh, every time I see Denine, Denine is ill today, she would have been with us today. Uh, when I see Denine, I say, um, God is good, she said, all the time. All the time, God is good. And this is a wonderful refrain, right? Because you're, you're, you're proclaiming something that is absolutely bedrock true. And it doesn't pretend that things aren't challenging, uh, uncertain, 
but the wonderful thing about naming and claiming uh, who we are in Christ is that we remember who we are. We come back into our right heart, our right mind. And really what worship is, uh, it's not about hearing new information each week because you've probably heard a lot of it, most of it. It's about remembering and coming into a realignment. Kind of like eating and drinking every day. You're refreshing your body. You're refreshing your soul by constantly coming into the presence of God. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about um, this new year from the standpoint of centering ourselves in what is most f- foundational, uh, what is most essential, and then we'll, we'll spend the rest of the year unpacking all that, as we do. Uh, so we come back and we say, you know, if you ever were, were a kid, you played uh, um, hide-and-seek, you had to come back and touch base. You know, you knew there's a starting point. Sometimes you were that kid that found the perfect place to hide and everybody else went home because they couldn't find you. Um, but pretty much you're supposed to come back to base. So this is what we're doing today. And I'm asking the question, how does God's story shape yours? <laughs> and if you're new to all this, you might say, oh, first of all, I didn't know God had a story. And I didn't know I had a story. Uh, my life is a random series of events that stuff just happens. I make the best of it and I move on. Uh, but actually, uh, God has a story, and your story is part of His story. Not as in, you, you know, uh, you're giving God His story, but your life matters to Him, and your life uh, can be only understood and seen for what it is from His perspective. That's what I mean when I ask the question, how does God's story shape yours? And so we start with this notion of the Word of God, the articulated will of God, uh, the way God communicates to us, tells us about Him and about us. So the Word of God is really, to oversimplify, two things. It's a person and a proclamation. God's Word is written, you know, if if you have a Bible with you on your phone, uh, that's the Word of God. That's a proclamation. Uh, It's a text. It's content. Uh, It represents different kinds of literary forms. There's poetry, there's history, there's biography, there's prophetic announcements. You know, hey, this is what's coming, be ready. And then there's the, the Word of God, the person, and, and this is Jesus. Jesus is described as the Word of God, the personified, incarnate Word of God. And you go, how can it be both? How can it be a book and, and a being? Well, it is. And so the Word of God is a person and a proclamation, Jesus in Scripture. And it's revealed as a story of God creating the world and then saving the world He created. And there's a big gap between what I just said. Well, if He created it, why does He have to save it? Was it not a very good creation? No, it was an excellent, perfect so perfect, in fact, he said it's really very good. And be, God being perfect knows what really very good is. But something happened in there that involves us. And that's what we end up unpacking every week. That in the context of God creating all things and saving all things, our story emerges. You with me so far? So this is the larger context of God's story. Next week, I'm going to walk you through, in literally about 20 minutes, the entire Bible. From stem to stern, beginning to end. I'm going to tell you everything about the Bible, kind of. But I will give you this overview of the Bible, and you'll say, why read it? I just got it. I just got the, not the Cliff Notes, but the Steve Notes on on the Bible. Um, But that's what it is. God created all things, and there's a prehistory to that. Uh, I I, I don't know what it is. We'll find out someday. Yeah, but what about God? But what about before God? How far can you go out? They just launched a new telescope this week. Did you know that? Makes the Hubble look like, you know, bad reading glasses. Uh, this thing is out there so far, you can see beyond what anybody has ever seen, seen as in the sense of detecting, uh, and yet it's, it's, a, it's nothing. 
It's like saying, I am so awesome. I drove all the way to Barstow. I'm practically on the East, on the east Coast. You know, uh, if you're in Barstow, you're pretty much nowhere. Uh, but, um, and if you're from Barstow, you know. That's why you're sitting here. You're, you're from Barstow. Yeah, so that, it's big, 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 big. So the priest story, I don't know. But what I do know is, is that God tells us he created all things, and he's redeeming all things. There's a beginning and an end. History is not a loop. It's not circular. This is a, an ideology. It's a point of view that human, a human, human people, you know, humanity has embraced in some cultures, in some contexts, that it's just, oh, it's just a loop here and that, you know, the endless, no, it's not, sorry. According to God, it starts and it ends. There's a creation, and then there's an ultimate redemption, new heaven, new earth, and a judgment leading into that new heaven and new earth. So it, it's, it's got some endpoints, right? And that's what we understand is time. And so what we always do when we gather for worship is we, we reflect on what does it mean to be us in time? Coming into a relationship with a God who exists beyond time, for whom time is a created thing. You know, time is a paper cup, you know what I mean? It's something he created. It's useful, but it's limited. So it, this is the physics of it. If you're a, phys, a physicist, we're spe- you're, I'm speaking your love language right now. <clears throat> and this is one of the fun things uh, about faith is that uh, a little tiny child can come into a worship service and not get most of it but at least have some great art time but they might love the music or they might hear something that really grabs them Uh, the most learned person on the planet can come in uh, and have their hearts filled with um, a new sense of their purpose in life Uh, years ago I was standing here I looked down and I saw one of the world's greatest living physicists standing there and he's, he's from Great Britain, and, and he's just an amazing guy. I wish I could tell you all about him. But I thought I, I, I thought I was having an out-of-body experience because I thought, I'm looking at one of the world's greatest living phys, phys, physicists, and, and the band is playing, and people are singing, and he's standing there, and I'm thinking, he's British. I should probably apologize. Hey, sorry, this is very happy clappy, but I'm glad you're here. But I thought, okay, so he's walking away with something, and somebody next to him who's just here for the first time doesn't know anything. Um... This guy, was, in fact, at one point in his life, was honored with the highest prize given. I think it's up to a million or two million dollars to the scientist who integrates faith. Amazing. But that's what it is. We're here to reflect on eternity in the context of time. And it's the Word of God that gives us access to that, the person of God and the proclamation of God. And the interesting thing is that the Bible, as the proclaimed Word of God, the written Word of God, is the best-selling and most translated book of all time. Did you know that? The Bible is the, first of all, most published, most copied, um, best-selling, and most translated book of all time. I think Danielle Steele is just behind that. Um, you know, uh, Stephen King is somewhere in that, you know, top ten, I'm sure. Um, but the Bible, the Bible... And yet, I doubt most people owning one could pass a simple test on its content. Really. Uh, Think of all the Bibles sitting on shelves, precious family heirlooms, or or something. I I need the complete library, and they told me I needed a Bible to go with it. The content of the Bible. um, What are we missing when we don't read and understand the Bible? Some deep, deep stuff. For example, who is the second tallest man in the Bible? Nehemiah, you know that, Nehemiah. Nehemiah. 
Uh, who is the shortest man in the Bible? Obviously, Bildad the Shuhite. You know, deep, deep stuff is in the Bible waiting for you. Now, this is, that's pure silliness, right? These are the kind of the silly things. And when, when, when you ask most people about the Bible, they say, it's a revered book full of silly things. Claiming to tell me who I am and what I'm supposed to do with my life. I've read it. I've heard about it. Well, I actually haven't read it. I've heard people who heard about it who heard about it say some things about it. And I, now I know that I really don't need it. It's pre-scientific. Oh, yeah, it was created by the one who created all of our capacity for science. How is that pre-scientific? Explain that. But what are we missing when we don't read and understand the Bible? I'm going to read some half a dozen verses, short ones. I thought I'll pick some short verses that kind of encapsulate maybe what we're missing. Uh, Psalm 119 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. You're confused about your life? (laughs) Read the Bible. Now, you might have to do some other processing in other contexts, but if you don't have the Word of God front and center, your counseling is going to be wasted. Because you're going to keep coming back to, I'm the, I am the light of my path. And I'm the only God that I can trust in. You know, okay, you know, that's not going to work very well. Your Word, O oh Lord, is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. How about this one from 2 Timothy? All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that God's people may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Yes, but you don't understand, I have, a, I have a PhD from Cambridge. Okay, and your point being, well, that counts for something. Okay, great, I mean, congratulations, that's a phenomenal achievement, we honor that, awesome. But tell me, I'm, I'm don't, I don't quite get your point. You're saying you're now complete, you don't need anything to speak into your life, you don't need God himself to help you take that content and make the most of it? Why would you be so reluctant? If you spent all your adult life researching and, and having that final wonderful achievement that launched you into a whole career of research, why would you stop researching the most important things about how to live? Here it is. All scriptures God breathed useful and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that God's people may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Lord Kelvin, the guy by whom we, me- we measured uh, stuff, I don't know what it is, vegetables, uh, electricity, whatever it is, you know, Kelvin units, uh, one of the most celebrated scientists in the world uh, would say, my life doesn't make sense, but for Christ at the heart of it. Because all scriptures, God breathes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How about this one? From Hebrews chapter 4, God's word is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Oh, my gosh, talk about psychoanalysis on steroids. When you walk into a counselor's office, you're getting the benefit of somebody who spent a lot of time, he or she has spent a lot of time understanding the human soul, the human psyche, and, and patterns and things that we attach to and, 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 and ways to help us regain a sense of who we are <clears throat> to develop maybe some healthy boundaries, whatever it is. But when you're in the presence of God, he doesn't just look at you like the counselor says, oh, I see you, I know your name. God looks not just at us, he looks into us, to the deepest parts of who we are, the parts that we're maybe afraid, afraid to reveal, I might be perceived as weak, or they might be shameful. I, I did that, and I'm, I'm so sorry, I regret that. God looks into us, and he says, so, all right, I got some work to do, and I'm really happy to be here, because I made you to be in relationship with me, and I don't want you to be burdened by the stuff that you're burdened with. I want to set you free to be everything you're supposed to be.
powerful. James says it this way, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Well, do what it says. I think this is Bob Penner's card of the 52 cards of the year. And Bob had a perfect farmer take on this. You know, not, not just doing what I say, uh, uh, do what I do. Powerful. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. We are masters of rationalization. I might be wrong, but you're wronger. And that's all that matters. It's like that silly joke about you don't have to outrun the bear, you just have to outrun your friend, right? Kind of a thing. How about this? Out of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. All creation at some point wears out and goes away. A new creation replaces it. Do you know the two eternal things on this planet? The word of God and you. You have an, etern- an eternal identity. Now, there's a the big debate on well, after judgment. Are some people destroyed or, or, or eternally punished? I mean, it's very colorful language, and you, you don't want to be too quick to attach to a point of view on that. Other than to say, the Word of God is forever, and people were created to be forever. Not in and of themselves, self-sustainable, but in the Lord. The Word of God tells us this. And then how about John's gospel? The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Pitched his tent among us. Dwelling, it's the same root word. This is a Greek version of it, but it's, it's taking the Hebrew word for dwelling. Um, shakan. Uh, it's the same word that uh, is a, a, a variation of Moses standing in front of the burning bush. Here's it. God was shakan in the bush. It was dwelling in the bush. Uh, maybe you've heard the term Shekinah, the Shekinah glory of God. Have you heard that term? Um, just a heads up, it's not a biblical term. Uh, I've heard so many Christians say, oh yeah, you know, Shekinah glory of God. It's not a biblical term. Shekinah is a biblical word about the dwelling of God that then becomes a, a picture of holiness. Shekinah was what the rabbis, after the destruction of the temple, said, we've got to come, kind of come to terms with how we understand the glory of God now that the temple is gone. And so they took this word uh, Shekinah, and they, they, they made a new word, Shekinah. But it's, it's, it, the same thing is really about the dwelling of God among us. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. See, dwelling and glory are linked. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Wow. The Word, anticipated through the Word, came into the world to give us the Word. It's just this crazy, wow, thing of the Word as a person and the Word as a proclamation. And I haven't gotten to my first point yet, by the way. I'm just kind of ramping up to, you know. Did we not tell you this is a day-long retreat? I hope you paid your fee for, you know, the two meals we'll be serving and the snacks. Uh, have you heard of the name Roosevelt Montas? Roosevelt Montas. Well, that's a great name, isn't it? Roosevelt Montas. Uh, he... Uh, was born in a, a very poor family in the Dominican Republic. Uh, came here when he was 11 years old. As he says of himself, I arrived with my belly full of parasites and my head full of lice. And I was so glad to be here. Moved to the Bronx. Anybody know where the Bronx is? The Bronx is New York. Waves of immigrants have lived in the Bronx. And now he was, his family, maybe 30-something years ago, was another 
You know, my grandparents lived in the Bronx. Um, I think of all the people who've come through from very uh, modest or impoverished or oppressive backgrounds to land in this country. That's, that was Roosevelt Montas's history. But he's now the director of Columbia University's Freedom and Citizenship Program. Uh, for the last 20 years, he's run the, the best great books program in the country. You know, every university was a great books program. Uh, and that's been diminished for all kinds of very bad, spurious reasons. Uh, because what we need are great books. The Word of God begets words uh, that are helpful to us. But in high school, he was walking down the street, and he saw this trash can filled with books that somebody had thrown out. He thought, this is what's crazy about this country. People throw books away. And so he's looking at it. He doesn't know any of the titles, but he picks up one of them. Kind of a neat-looking book, and he just walks away with it. It's trash. I'll take it. And he started reading it. He thought, oh, my gosh, this is so interesting. And he's walking down the hall in his high school, and a teacher saw him reading this book. He said, hey, what are you reading? He said, oh, it's this. And it's Plato's uh, response to the trial and death of Socrates. If you've never read it, it's a great read. Uh, dialogues by Plato, Plato's Republic, uh, little stories like the cave. But this, all of them, I mean, Plato was worth reading. He's not worth believing in. But he's really worth reading because he raises great questions and, and ideas about what life is all about. Uh, don't disparage any great writers. Uh, hold the Bible high and say, Lord, through your word, I want to understand what other people are doing to sort life out. So his teacher said, hey, read that and keep reading that. And, and so because he had this curiosity, uh, and he, you know, he, he did poorly on the SAT, but every kid he knew did. He, he didn't understand the larger culture. He felt intimidated by all the impressive people he, he, he saw around him, not in his neighborhood, but he heard about. And he was offered a spot at Columbia University, a special program. And this was not a, oh, let's dump things down so these kids uh, from marginalized uh, uh, backgrounds can have a fancy degree. They said, let's build a transition without compromising, any, compromising anything about our standards. Let's bring a, a cohort of students in and transition them into functionality. So he came in knowing that, man, I am, I am, may as well have a sign that says inferior, not qualified on me, but I don't care. And as he sat in these seminars at Columbia University, he realized most of this is going over my head. These kids I'm so intimidated by because they obviously have privileged backgrounds, a lot of them, and they know so much stuff just by being them. But his teachers kept saying, hang in there, hang in there, it's going to happen for you. And finally, one day, it's like something clicked. He said, I get it. I've been reading all these great books. And my mind has been blown and opened with all these possibilities. And of course, he did so well, he went on to, to get a master's and a PhD and then was in charge of the whole program that he started as a freshman in college. And he's passed it on to other people. He, has a, he came out with a book um, in 2021, brilliant book. I uh, hope you read it. Why am I telling you this? Because Roosevelt Montas would say, that book opened up worlds to me and allowed me to understand and right-size my understanding of me. I'm, I'm, I am of inestimable worth. I don't have to apologize for being a kid from the Dominican Republic who has, you know, one set of clothes and not much else. And he became part of a learning community. 
he became part of an ongoing conversation that transformed him. You see the power of this? And what was neat about it is the efficacy of this, is that it didn't take his head and put it in la-la land. It took his head and his heart and his hands and put it in the real world. So all of a sudden, now he understands how uh, economies function, social orders are established, how political systems emerge. He starts to understand all the vagaries and nuances of the real world in which we live. Do you see the power of this? It didn't take him out of the game. It brought him into the game. So likewise, God's word opens our eyes to his kingdom, his plan for the world. Now, the crazy thing is, most people are, are reluctant to do it because they say, I don't know it. Uh, yeah, no kidding. How will you know it if you don't start somewhere? I, I have had countless conversations with highly sophisticated, highly educated, highly successful people who said, the reason I don't, uh, you keep asking me and encouraging me to be in a, a life group or read the Bible, it's just too intimidating and I don't want to feel dumb. Okay, let me frame it for you differently then. If you are dumb, does it matter how you feel about it? Does it matter how you feel about it? Roosevelt Montas was humble enough to say, I just, I'll get, I, I confess, I don't know anything. I don't know why I'm even here, but I'm just glad to be here. And I'll get what I can out of it. And all of a sudden, he's the guy that's helping other people find their way into it. He's explaining it to the world. He's now the, the chief apologist to all other universities around the world saying, why don't you have one of these programs? Well, it's a Western thing. So what? This is the West. We can read other books. We've, I, I brought other books in. These aren't the only books, but these are the essential books. So we're saying to people, the Word of God is the essential book. Why aren't you reading it if you're not reading it? And if you are reading it, why are you reading it so superficially? To read something superficially is to inoculate yourself from the power of it. A little is just enough to make you feel like you don't need any more depth. A little knowledge is a dangerous thing, right? So Roosevelt Montas didn't understand what he was reading, but his teachers and his peers helped him. When they saw his authentic humility and hunger, even though the most prideful of those, I, you know, I'm so privileged kids, said, hey man, can I help you? You're part of this deal. You have full access to this. He hung in there because he knew what he was reading was important for his life. He couldn't tell you why. He just knew it was. And if, if you think of the, the humor of this. If somebody said, well, what makes you think this is so important? Well, I found a book in a trash can. Well, that tells you everything. It's not important. Somebody threw it away. Why would you think it's important? Well, I think because he didn't know the value of it. You know the story, but I just saw this documentary about Salvatore Mundi, the, the, the lost and now final Rembrandt painting we have. Some guys bought it for a few thousand bucks because he thought, thought it was kind of neat, and they thought, hmm, maybe it is. And uh, an art conservator took it and said, hey, wow, and, 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 and worked on it. Uh, and they ended up selling it for you know, $80 million. They thought that was a really good day at the office. The guy that bought it, Sold it to a Russian oligarch for $127 million. He thought, man, that was, a good day's, that was a good day's work. The Russian oligarch found out that he'd been taken advantage of. He was so ticked off. He tried to crush this guy. I said, okay, Mr. Know-it-all, I want you to sell all the artwork that I've had you buy for me. Uh, or I'll ruin your reputation. 
So it's like, okay, okay. So they put it on auction. Salvatore Mundi sold for $400 million through an auction at Christie's. The, the, the person who bought it had to pay a, a, a fee for the privilege of buying it of $50 million. So the total sale was $450 million uh, so that it could hang in the yacht of a Saudi prince. And the Louvre put a retrospective of all Rembrandt's best, all of his Rembrandt stuff, there's not that many of them, brought them all to the Louvre. Uh, and this guy said, I want it to be, I want my painting to be right next to the Mona Lisa. And they said, it's not going to happen. And he said, then you won't see my painting. So to this day, a painting of $450 million that looked like a piece of trashed art, when the original guys said, hey, there's something on this, I, I think it's worth looking at, right, hangs in a boat. The Bible sits on a shelf. You see the connect. I didn't think it would be worth that much. I guess you didn't think enough. <laughs> so R.M. Roosevelt Montes hung in there because he knew it was reading, that what he was reading was important for his life. Do you see the Bible that way? Will you give effort to it? Who's going to help you do that? So let's read the Bible in 2022. What do you say? Maybe for the first time, maybe for the umpteenth time. Because reading the Bible is reading your life. Ultimately, when you read the Bible, the Bible reads you. It reads your life to you. How? It's an amazing thing. But you start reading the Bible and you go, oh my gosh, this is my story. But you'll need three things. And I, I want to just give you these three things very quickly. And we'll build on them in the next year, the next six months. You'll need three things. You'll need a purpose. Uh, you need a plan, and you'll need some people. That's all you need. Of course, a Bible. But then you need a, a sense of purpose, a sense of plan, and some people. And the people I'm just calling partners. You need partners. See, Roosevelt Montas wasn't just in a class with people after a while. He was in a class, a series of seminars with partners. Teachers and peers who were saying, we're doing this together. Uh, you've heard, some of you have heard me say before, uh, my favorite scientist quote, Werner Heisenberg, one of the great physicists of the 20th century, said, science is rooted in conversation. Science is rooted in conversation. Now with all the patenting, uh, patenting of, you know, of, 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 of you know, ownership of scientific stuff, there's less of conversation going on. Everybody's protecting their stuff. Now the vaccine people are fighting over who, you know, who, who gets what. But Heisenberg was onto it. In, that early, in those early days of modern physics, there were so many conversations going on. That's why conferences are powerful. People show up and have conversations. So you need these three things, a purpose, a plan, a partners for that conversation. First, our purpose, what is it? It's knowing God. It's knowing God, which means wisdom, means love, it means all kinds of things. Uh, Romans 12, Paul says it this way, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We live in a time of profound closed-mindedness. You've noticed that, right? Brilliant, brilliant people, incredibly closed-minded. A massive lack of humility. There might be some smidgen of truth in what these other people are doing. 
I mean, if you want to watch, I mean, and there are, these are very, I mean, powerful, powerful. What, what are some of the largest networks that come to mind? The most loud and, and seem to be, be running the narrative in our country. They are so close-minded. It's crazy-making. Uh, CNN, Fox. They don't listen to each other. They don't have a conversation with each other. They just get louder and badder and, and more dismissive if you don't buy what they say. I love NPR. Do you like NPR? NPR drives me crazy. I don't really listen to that much because it's like I hear something like, hello, is this an echo chamber? Um, why are you not having a conversation with other points of view? Uh, this is, this is the, the age in which we live. And the sophistication of then telling somebody, you really don't know what you're talking about, is a shutdown of a conversation versus saying, okay, I, don't, I can't even get my head around this. Help me understand what you, why you think that is true. How do you think that would be viable? How do you think you're going to fund that? How do you think that's going to work in the body? How do you think, whatever the issue is. Uh, every time I open up a, a magazine that has all these fashion things in it, I think, who is going to wear this stuff? I want to be part of that conversation. Hey, I'm just, I'm just curious. I could mock, but because uh, I don't know enough of what you're thinking, I won't mock yet. I just want to know, what were you thinking here? And then, of course, they would explain to me very patiently, like a very, you know, a small child. They say, well, it's because I'm not really expecting anybody to wear this. I'm making a career statement about my creativity. I'm disrupting people's way of seeing fashion. Therefore, we have a bigger conversation. Oh, okay. Now I get it. Now I can mock it with some knowledge. So we live in this time of profound closed-mindedness. Let's not contribute to it. I've heard people literally say, perhaps you have, God said it, I believe it. And they act as if somehow they've reduced some aspect of the Bible into something that is not open to conversation. I'm thinking, what, what exactly are you refer to? What do you mean God said it and you believe it and that settles it? And I've had people say, well, this. And they show me something, I'm thinking, that is so out of context. This is the only value of going to seminary because they make you study languages. And grammar, you go, hey, actually, you know, uh, that is what's in the Word of God, but let's look at the context here. So it's essential that we, we know the Word of God as our foundational text for life, and that we know it on its own terms, not that we read into it. So the Bible integrates the observed world, the lived world, and the revealed world. Uh, the observed world, what do I see? Uh, the lived world, what do I actually experience? And then the revealed world. That's the third leg of, of our epistemology, the way we know what we know, is God tells us stuff. It then changes the way we observe the world and that we live the world. And it, it opens us up to a conversation. Are there verities and bedrock truths in that? Yes. There's foundational things in that. You can't mock God by distorting his word or disobeying his word. There are consequences. You reap what you sow. But the conversation is so powerful because all of a sudden you realize, wow, this is a much more... Uh, profound text that I ever thought it was. So our purpose is knowing and loving God and becoming wise and loving like Jesus. And so uh, that's what our purpose is, right there. That's it. We need a purpose. And then we need a plan that helps us think biblically and critically about our life purpose. That's the second point. A plan is taking simple steps to develop significant skills for living well. A plan is taking simple steps for maybe a very sophisticated, complicated outcome. Do you remember Richard Feynman, uh, the Nobel laureate from Caltech, 
I was called in to be on a panel when the when the uh, when the the um, spacecraft blew up, right? And all these experts were trying to figure out why this, you know, this um, uh, phenomenal uh, technological thing, uh, the shuttle, uh, blew up. And so he pulled out a cold glass of water and a little rubber O-ring. And he dipped it in there. He said, see what happens to the O-ring. It becomes brittle. He explained this incredible conundrum and this big scientific mystery so simply. Powerful, powerful, powerful. Uh, he, he, because he was so prepared, he had a plan for how he would do what he would do. See, this is the, this is the way you reverse closed-mindedness. You have a plan for being open-minded. Right? If you can tell and predict what everybody you know would say about something, you are in a closed-minded community. Oh, I know, he'll, I know what he'll say. I know what she'll say. I don't talk to her about that because she'll Oh, yeah, they'll go right to this. Now, if you, though, say, I, I, I don't know exactly what they'll say about that, but I know the process that gets them there, that's a good thing. If you say, I like the process by which they sort out stuff, Richard Feynman was indiscriminate about knowledge because his process, his plan, was to say, let's look at it on its own terms, and perhaps it will tell us what we need to know about making sense of it. And so what is your plan? A plan really is an intentional discipline process of, of integrating ideas with behaviors. There's a big disconnect between what we think we know about God's Word and what we live. And because we don't align it properly, we dismiss the Bible. Well, it must be the Bible's problem. It certainly couldn't be mine. So a plan is how we feed ourselves to grow wise, discerning, loving, and productive. And so Jeremiah said it this way in Jeremiah 15. When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my, my heart's delight, for I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. I love that imagery. When, when your word came, I ate it. Did you do any eating over the holidays? I'm wearing proudly some phenomenal things, tasty things, savory and sweet, all these things that people came up with. You want to eat, you know, some of them are good for you, some of them not so much. But Jeremiah, Jeremiah received God's word as an immersive and joyous call to action. He dove in, basically. I'm all in. And so a plan allows us to explore and be creatively shaped by our purpose. My purpose is to know God, to walk with God. Therefore, my plan is to do things that allow me to accomplish that, have access to that. Here's what I do. If you've made any, uh, if you've told yourself some lies about, uh, excuse me, some resolutions about the new year, your plan is simply what you're going to do to support that purpose. That, that is represented in your resolution. And so uh, think of your plan, again, as, 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 a, as creative exploration that shapes your purpose. I sign up and go to the gym. I go for a walk. I don't eat this. I don't drink that. I start eating this. I start eating, you know, whatever. I like the way U.S. poet uh, laureate, uh, Billy Collins, um, how he talks about his plan for reading and experiencing a poem. And he says this, I ask them to take a poem. He's talking about students, the plan he offers them. I ask them to take a poem and hold it up to the light, like a colored slide, or 
press an ear against its hive. Now, he just changed the metaphor on us, right? But he's pulling us into this really experiential, immersive, and joyous uh, process, plan of reading a poem, understanding a poem on its own terms. I say, I say, he says, drop a mouse into a poem and watch him probe his way out. You go, whoa, this guy's mind is all over the place. Or walk inside the poem's room and feel the walls for a light switch. I want them to water ski across the surface of a poem, waving at the author's name on the shore. But all they want to do is tie the poem to a chair with rope and torture a confession out of it. They begin beating it with a hose to find out what it really means. Can you imagine if we had brought in some sheets of paper with the lyrics to those songs we sang and started working them over? Now, what does he mean by this? How can God fall on you? What, what do you, you know? Instead, what did you do? The, 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 the words went up. The, the, the band started playing this beautiful music. Uh, these voices drew us into the narrative of the song. All of a sudden, the, the poetry, the emotion, the imagery, the metaphors, it just swept us up, didn't it? Weren't you swept up in that music? I was. First of all, the musicianship is so good, I stopped thinking about the musicians. I was just thinking about what they were doing how they, and, you know, and what they were con conveying. This is what a poem is. This is what the Word of God does for us. Your life becomes a poem. You get to experience it. All of a sudden, you become curious about the world around you. and You say, I wish I could ask that person what this means. I was in a line yesterday getting ready to get on a plane and I'm standing there, and I just have to turn around, and there's a guy, he's about, you know, he's about this big, and looks like he was carved out of marble. And he's, he's wearing all black, and his these massive arms tatted to the, I mean, just amazing. And I was like, I was like, I don't care, I'm staring. And I'm staring, staring, I'm like, wow. And I look at the guy, and the tattoos over here, and then he, look, he turns and looks at me, and his eye had a gold cross in the middle of it. I'm like, now I really want to say, hey man, what's with the fake eye with the gold cross in it? What have you been through that has caused you to look like you look? And, and I saw military stuff, and I'm thinking, this guy's life is a novel. It's a movie. He's a living poem of pain and promise, and you must have cared a lot to put yourself in that danger. And to hold yourself with such bearing that you just are you. And he, he was walking ahead of us, because I wasn't going to get ahead of him. <laughs> and he's walking down the gangplank toward the plane. And, of course, his eye had the white, it was the cross, gold, bright. And his hand was on the wall like this. He wasn't leaning on it. It was just like casually his hand was on the wall. And I'm thinking, that guy could have taken anybody in the airport. Line everybody up and just, come on, I'm taking you all on. But he was just this calm presence. I mean, it was fascinating. But this is what we're talking about. Your plan is simply saying, what does it look like to fully enter into the narrative that God has created that shapes my story? When I first read the Bible, this is what I did. I dove in, I ate, I explored. I had it so much backwards and upside down. It took great leaders and helpers to help me make sense of it. Because I was just going, oh, this is awesome. This reminds me of what I read in, in The Prophet by Khalil Gibran. Oh, yeah, Siddhartha did this. You know, and, or, oh, yeah, Jesus shared his lunch. It wasn't a miracle, of course. Miracles don't happen. And, and by being pulled into this conversation, 
I found that I was given a plan, a context, a framework, a process that said, hey, you know, things are in context. These are different kinds of literature that you're reading. Powerful experience of just being set free to jump into the Bible. And eventually I started noticing details and appreciating the meaning of it. That the Bible is an organic work inviting our personal experience with the living God. Uh, as Bill Creasy says, it's rooted in geography. It emerges from history. It's a unified literary whole. It's God's word. Some of you know Bill Creasy. Uh, his great Bible teacher was a literary, literature professor at UCLA for many years. It's a beautiful summary, isn't it? Rooted in geography, emerging from history, unified literary whole, God's word. And I get to explore it. So in reading the Bible, we ask what? We ask, so what? We ask, now what? The what is, what does it say? What's the context here? The so what is, well, what's the meaning of that word in, in that context? So what does it mean? And then if I understand what it means, then the now what is, what, what should I do with it? Is there anything? Is there anything I should do about it? Am I just supposed to know something or am I supposed to do something? The third thing is the partners. Partners are the people with whom we do Bible study as a conversation. Who are your partners? Well, I don't have any. Roosevelt Montas had no partners. He was one skinny kid from the Bronx showing up at, a, at one of the most prestigious Ivies um, on the East Coast. He had no partners, except for the people who said, we see promise in you, we're going to make this happen. And then he shows up and goes, maybe this is a bad idea. Until his partners in the room said, man, so glad you're here. We're going to have a good time. Hang in there. It'll be a little confusing at points, maybe even discouraging. But you're going to have an awesome experience. And so Jeremiah again says, speaking on behalf of the Lord, as if the Lord is speaking through him, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to one another, know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. You see the transition there. We're not just being called before God to be instructed. We're being called into his presence to be in conversation. What are you experiencing? I'm feeling completely out of it. Today I felt like an atheist all day and completely discouraged about my faith. And I, I don't know why I even bother. Wow. Anything else? Yeah. Uh, so I knew I needed to come to this Bible study. Not to get advice or have you tell me, talk me out of my feelings, just to be in the presence of my brothers and sisters and remember who I am. Did you guys give me permission to raise any issue, ask any question, process what I'm working through? All right. Anybody else? What? No judgment? No talking him out of his feelings? No correcting? Mm -mm. No, I'll put my law within them and they will... And I will write it on their hearts, and I'll be their God. They shall be my people. No longer shall they have a need to teach one another or to say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. Who are your partners? They are the people who help you grow in Christ. We all have a contribution to make. Our presence matters. Can you imagine how much richer the conversation was when Roosevelt Montas came into the room and said, First of all, Plato, isn't that like a clay thing? I know it's in that guy's name. All right. Now, the Socrates, with Socrates, what was his, why did he, the Athenians want him to drink poison and die? Right. So this is how theology is developed and how it develops us. Theology is simply all the accumulation of biblical content starts to shape a worldview. 
Not a closed-minded view, but a comprehensive view. Comprehensive view. Not that I believe everything, but I understand how everything sorts itself out in the real world. And so the church, past and present, is a resource-rich learning community. That's us. And so we've created a new Sunday format. Uh, it's, it's basically just a, a realignment of what we always do. Uh, but it's worship and connecting and conversation. So starting next week, we'll have one service like this at 9.30, worship. Then uh, we're going to have a thing we're calling, not to call it anything, but connecting. Uh, we'll go out there and have something to eat. Today will be a little bit more substantial brunch. It'll be a little bit lighter each week, but we'll go out and have just enough to, a little bit, a bit of a snack to give you an excuse to say, hey, I, I've never met you. Can I, get you. can I give you a cup of coffee? You know, come on, let's go talk. Connect. And that's for half an hour, 10.30 to 11 on the patio. You'll pick up your kids from childcare and then put them back in childcare as you come back into the third thing, which we're calling conversations. For now, come right back into the sanctuary. The band will do the same worship set. For those who are coming late, and this is their only service, they're going to come one time, not two. Fine, you can have a little bit of worship impact. But then we're going to have these conversations. And that will go for like 45 minutes. And basically we'll be presenting something that allows you to be interactive. Not, not just Steve and other talking head, but hey, here's some things we want to put out to you. Let's talk about that. What's your response to this? Let's treat it like a poem. Let's run around inside of it. Let's water ski across it. Let's, you know. And so may this be a breakthrough year for all of us as we read and study the Bible together. Uh, so today we have three things for you. Um, some food and fun t- uh, to launch the new season. Go out there and have some great food. And we have some really fun things for the kids to do. And if if you're on your best behavior, you can join them and do some of the fun things. <clears throat> we have a bookmark, a very simple thing, but it's, it's, it's an important reminder, literally a marker, a bookmark with the Bible books listed and some suggested Bible study resources on it. You pick up that. And then uh, for $5, which is half price, we've arranged to make these Bible study journals. That's your personal Bible study journal. You can pick up one of those for 5 bucks. Um... And those three things. So the idea is uh, go have some fun, relax, talk to people. Uh, take that, that, that bookmark. Even if you don't read books but you listen to the Bible audibly, fine. Just have that bookmark handy to remind you these are the 66 books of the Bible. Here's the resources available to me online to have a plan to re- reinforce my purpose, connect with my partners. And then if it's new to you, just journaling down some thoughts, questions, things that come to mind. And if you're an expert journaler, add this to your collection of journals, right? So, Lord Jesus, we've come to your, into your presence to worship you. Now we want to approach your table in Holy Communion, knowing that you just didn't come to give us information. You come to call us into relationship, a relationship that changes everything. So, Lord, we thank you that you've provided this for us as a gift, motivated by your great love, supported uh, by your personal sacrifice on our behalf, your death on the cross, your resurrection from the grave. And now, Lord, we remember that through Holy Communion. Uh, And we thank you that you invite every one of us, every one of us, Lord, you invite to come into your presence and to receive Holy Communion as we confess our faith in you, as we acknowledge our need for what you alone can provide. So we thank you and praise you for all this. In your high and holy name, in the name of Jesus, Amen. So you have a little communion packet. Now this is a little, this is a newer one, a little tricky. 
you don't want to take the top off the juice first. Do not take the top of the juice first, because then when you turn it over to get your wafer, uh, you realize you have a serious process problem. So start with that little wafer, and you take the top off, and you take the wafer out. Um, and in a moment, I'll say some words, and after I say those words, these aren't magical incantation words. These are just words of remembering why we're doing this and what it means. Uh, you'll take that, you'll eat that little bit of bread, and then you, oh my gosh, I got some juice. You'll take the unfermented grapefruit juice, grape juice, and you'll take that and drink that. Why? Because on the night that he was betrayed, as they were celebrating Passover, with unleavened bread, Jesus took that bread and blessed it and broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And they came to understand what that meant once he sacrificed himself on the cross and once he rose again from the dead. And of course, he took a cup later in that meal and he blessed it and he said, this cup is the new covenant, the new relationship made possible through my blood. Do this whenever you do this in remembrance of me. So this bread and this cup are symbols and signs pointing us to Jesus, but they're more than that. They're substantive. It means literally that God himself comes into us. Doesn't displace who we are, but develops who we are by his holy presence. And then he, having done this, sends us out into the world. Having brought us together, then he sends us out in his name to tell the story, to invite other people into the conversation. So receive the bread and drink from the cup. Jesus. 
Uh, if you're new, uh, feel free to fill out one of these. It'll allow you to get stuff from us, uh, information, weekly emails that we send, a weekly devotional we send out. Uh, and then if you have a prayer request, uh, on, use the flip side, write out a prayer request. If we can pray for you before you leave, before you go out to get somebody, go right on the corner to the prayer garden and we'll uh, brief prayer uh, uh, for you, uh, whatever concerns you or your concern for other people. Uh, thank you for being here in worship today. What a great way to start the new year. Um, think of people that you'd like to bring into the conversation and invite them to come next week. Uh, we'll be doing some really neat stuff using the Bible Project uh, content out of uh, Portland, Oregon. Phenomenal stuff. Super creative. Um, grab your book, your journal, your bookmark, and a plate of food. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon us all, giving us His love, His peace, His power, His mercy, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.